I left anybody out. Um, so last week we talked mostly about prayer, and um, really just kind of, I, I don't know, who, who all was not here last week, not to make you feel bad, but just to feed, I really just wanted to know, so I know how much to talk about it, because I thought, I thought it was very helpful, I thought that the things we talked about was very uh, fruitful, and because the truth is, prayer is a difficult thing, um, especially when you stop long enough to think, wow, I'm, I'm supposedly talking to the creator of the universe. <laughs> That's a big deal, you know, and it ought to be taken as such. Um, but we kind of got down to the end, and we didn't really talk about this a lot, but as far as God answering prayer and the purpose of prayer, we, we walked through that because our confession um, made it clear that prayer, in order for it to be acceptable, had to be in the name of the Son, Jesus, by the help of the Spirit, we looked at Romans 8 and how it describes that for us, and according to the will of God. Because so many people pull random verses out of their context and just say, look here, Jesus said, if you ask for it, you get it. And we know that's been abused. And so we talked about that um, and looked at the Lord's Prayer. I mean, that's the greatest example we have uh, to see what prayer looks like. Um, it's not complicated. It's not even necessarily long, right? It's just, to, it's just you get to the point, and you start with God, and you and you go to your request later. And you know, sometimes I get it. There's times where you need to pray now, and you need to ask God what you need to ask Him, and you don't need to necessarily go through a formula, right? <laughs> I mean, there's kind of there's kind of times where you know, if you fall out of the boat and you're drowning, you need to pray the Lord help you not drown. You don't got time to go through a whole list of, uh, well, first I need to thank God for all his blessings and then whatever it is. However, what kind of order you got? There comes a time, and, you know, the more desperate you are, the more, probably the better we are at pre- praying because the more desperate we are, the more we are recognizing that if God doesn't do something, I'm not going to be okay. This is not going to get done. But also it, it teaches us, but if nothing, if what I'm praying for doesn't happen, then obviously I wasn't, it wasn't God's will. You know, he's doing his will. And now I need him to help me accept that this is his will. Because I thought something else It's not. I mean, you learn that, especially when people are uh, in sickness and you're wanting people to get well and you think he, that he's going to do that and he doesn't. And, of course, a lot of people say, well, if you really believed, he would have he healed him. Okay, well, at some point that can't be true because all of us are going to die. It's a point in a man wants to die. So you can't just tell people, if you have faith, they've been healed. Okay, well, how long? Till they're 420? No. So it's not wrong to pray those things. Uh, I think we should pray for the things that we want God to do, but it is a learning process, I think, figuring out how do I pray according to God's will. So it says that to us, uh, and I'm not sure how much we talked about this. I think we did some, um, but it, that third uh, pa- paragraph also, prayer must be accompanied by understanding. If you want to know the reason I most don't believe in anything, something called praying in tongues, do you even understand what you're saying? I mean, how are you going to talk to God if there's no understanding? And I think the Bible is clear that prayer should be with understanding. And, and that passage they put there is 1 Corinthians 14, which is about that. And you can kind of read that and see what good is it if nobody understands what you're saying. Right? Um, so, 
goes on to say, obviously, out of reverence, humility, fervor, faith, love. We talked about those things in perseverance. They were talking about, you and I were talking about that a little bit. And because the Catholic Church at that time was talking a lot of Latin and nobody understood anything going on in the church. Oh, yeah, that last sentence? Yeah, the terms. Yeah. We talked about that last week, too, and you're exactly right. It was not only that, but um, even further, I don't know if you and I talked about this, but because of some of the writers of our confession being so educated that even some of them could have uh, spoke Hebrew, Greek, some of them spoke Latin and English and all these things. And so even for them, they were saying, hey, that's, that's great. It, you can pray in whatever language you want to, but if you're with people, you need to pray in the language that they all know and understand. Which again, I think, I think uh, it will, in, at some point we'll talk about this, but the whole idea of speaking in tongues, what that was, it was a language. It wasn't an ecstatic utterance. It was a language. That if you go back to Acts, and you can't say that what happened in Acts and what happened in, Corinth, in, in Corinthians is different, it's clear that the people were speaking in their language, but everybody understood them in their own language. They weren't doing something out of sorts. They were talking like I'm talking, but everybody was understanding in their own language. It was a miracle. And so, and that's why I say, people say, you believe in speaking in tongues? Well, if you're around a whole bunch of people that don't speak your language and they understand what you're saying while you're speaking in your language, I won't touch that. I'm not going to get involved. Let God do what he wants to do. But, I don't know that there's very few times that most of us would ever be in that circumstance, situation. It, there's no need in me speaking in a language y'all don't understand. What good is that? You know, this is what that passage in 1 Corinthians 14 says. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in a position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he doesn't even know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up, which is under, uh, interesting. And so, the purpose of the spiritual gifts is to build up the body. And to build up the body. And so if they don't even know what you're saying, you can't be built up. And like I said, I, I, there's, they, put, they put this here because uh, when um, Luke asked me the question, I was like, wait a minute, i, I got to go back and think about this because it's been a long time since I've seen this sentence. Because I know the Baptist... I know that Baptist, our Baptist forefathers that came out of the Reformation didn't believe in speaking in tongues. So what is he talking about? And then I, I had to remember as always, well, first, they're combating the Roman Catholic Church. Almost, almost everything they do in here, that's their first battle. And then they did other things to, to separate themselves from everybody else. They're separating themselves from the Presbyterians and from other Baptists, um, Anabaptists, and uh, General Baptists. These were particular Baptists, and they're... And, you know, that believe uh, the doctrines of grace and are general Baptists who didn't and so forth. Anyways, so we move on to the next, unless y'all want to talk about that anymore. He goes on to say, prayers to be made uh, for lawful things. In other words, if you are going to pray, it should be according to the things you know God has said he would grant you. Go back through the scriptures. This goes back to his will. Well, how do I know his will? Well, you got to read the Bible. Because that's where he's revealed his will, right? And so, you know, pray for lawful things. Pray for things that you go back up here with understanding and reverence and humility and fervor and faith and love and perseverance. In other words, keep praying, be persistent, and pray for things that God has said he would do. Because remember, 
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The purpose of prayer, again, is to get God's will done on earth, not our will done in heaven. This teaches us to recognize his will and put our thinking more in line with him. That's what prayer ultimately, I think, does. Right. It, does, it changes us. Yeah. We're not, and that's what I wanted to get to tonight. We sort of mentioned this last week. Prayer doesn't change God. It's not like, okay, we got to pray for this thing. So if we could get 25 people praying, then he'll answer. But we only got 24, so I'll go on. Or if two people are praying for the same, opposite, the same situation but opposite results, you know. And so I, I, the, best, the best example to use would be if I'm praying for Georgia to win and John's praying for Tennessee to win, which I'm not sure that God really cares either which way who wins. But my point is, if prayer is nothing more than we just got to get a whole bunch of people on our side, then what's going on? It, does it mean that if, if Tennessee wins, dang, they got more people praying than we did. You know, or they're more spiritual. They were less sinful. Or God just likes them better. You know, I mean, so again... I'm not saying that we shouldn't. It's nothing wrong with us asking as many people to pray for us as we can. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, is it ever a bad thing if you need prayer to have 100 people praying? No. Or 1,000 people praying? That's great. But we can't think that if I get enough people praying, because we've kind of made that. Man, if we get enough people, God will hear us. Well, yeah, he'll hear us either way. But he'll answer according to his will. If we're all praying for his will to be done in lawful things that he said he's going to do. And I think that was Jesus' point. When you pray, you pray for, I mean, think about this. Our Father, you're praying to God the Father, and of course through the Son. And you're praying that his kingdom come. I mean, where the whole purpose, everything that God's doing right now is building his kingdom, right? So when we pray, we think toward things about that. And again, it's not wrong to say, hey, my 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 family members sick, please heal them. Because there's place in the scripture that we're taught to pray for sickness and so forth. Um, and, and to pray for, I mean, if you look in there, God's, Jesus teaches us to pray for daily bread, pray that we learn how to forgive as he's forgiven us. And um, to keep us from evil and temptation and those things. So, um, sorry, my... I hit the button. I don't know where I'm at. Okay, but anyways, I did want to. I wanted. I wanted to mention that that sometimes we we have a messed up thinking that you know if we just can if we can do enough things, God will answer our prayer the way we want. Or we can change God's mind. Yes, and if you look in the Old Testament, it looks like Moses prayed and God. The King James says God repented of what He was going to do and He didn't do it. And that's a hard, that's a difficult subject to broach and think about in different difficult passages. But I think it's clear, and especially when you see different translations, God repenting is not the best translation there. Uh, relenting from what he was going to do because he was not going to do this. He threatened to do it, but through Moses praying and interceding and seeing that, like Christ, Moses interceding, then God didn't do what he was just in doing which is a picture forward that he could have destroyed the whole world, but he didn't because the real intercessor came and died in their place and took their place. And so in the process, I think what happened, God didn't change, but Moses started getting changed. 
and he started seeing God's purposes from a different perspective. Does that make sense? But um, because I think that, I don't know if that helps you. It just helped me so much years back when I realized I'm not trying to change God's mind or convince him of anything. Like if I pray enough times, God will understand that this is important because he's omniscient. He's all powerful. He already knows. I mean, what is, what does Jesus say? God already knows what you need before you even ask him. So it's not like I'm teaching God something by praying fervently. If I say enough times, he'll know about it. He already knows about it. But he does want you to pray. I mean, it's a great blessing and a gift to be able to, as I mentioned at the beginning, to talk to the creator God. That's an amazing thing. And we do have to go through an intermediate, intermediary, but it's Jesus, not another person. So even when you ask me to pray for you, I'm glad to pray for you. But you can pray too. I mean, you know, my prayers are not more special than yours. And I think sometimes we 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 still 500 years away from the Reformation. We're we're still almost in that Catholic mode at times. At times. Well, if the preacher pray for me though, and uh, and they don't know how many times I'm thinking about something else while I'm praying. You know, I told you this last last week. Like, and that's awful, but it's true. All right, I'm trying to do it, and I'm trying to focus. But I'm also thinking about where I'm going in a few minutes. Like, I don't know how, how's our brain do that? I don't know how our brains, and I think, again, that's why up here, when it says pray with understanding, it does, sometimes Jesus saying, go away and get in your closet, there's a reason. Go somewhere away from everything at some point where you can really think, okay, God, this is what I, I, I really want to talk to you about. This is serious. And that's the times that we really learn to trust God. And sometimes that's why... I don't know. I mean, I, I would never not pray for somebody to ask me to. But sometimes I just, I don't know. I'm like, is this really beneficial? But sometimes it does comfort people. And that's, I'm not making fun of people. I mean, I get, um, I mean, honestly, if I was somewhere and something's going on serious in my life and I'm struggling and I have random people there praying for me, I would be like, oh, this is great. But if one of y'all came in, that would encourage me more because I know you, I know your heart. I see you, I hear you, I love on you. We love on each other. So I get that. So I'm not making fun of people that think, oh, the preacher's here now. But, you know, my prayers don't count more than yours. That's what I'm saying. That's all. Now, there was a, uh, it's old church, there was a lady at the church that, if, I can't tell you how many times I heard it said, if you want something done, if you want God to answer a prayer, get this lady to pray for you because right. she's got a direct line to God. I, I heard that expression before. And yeah. Like, get, get well, and here's it'll, the, it'll get answered immediately. Right. And it's like she had more power yeah. to, to do And so. here's the truth. Sometimes you think about this. If there's somebody that's really learned to pray and has been doing it for a lot of years and they are praying according to the will of God, I mean, it would look that way. God, they're always getting their prayers answered. Whoa. I mean, there's it's a reason. Praying in the will of God. Yeah. <laughs> but I know what you're saying because I've heard yeah. that too before. Prayer warrior. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I said something recently to a, a person that used to come to church with us because they had they came to me months and months and months back and said, Hey, I just want you to know I'm praying for this to happen. I said, Okay. And lo and behold it happened. And just like they were praying for her. And so I told her the last time I saw her, like, Yeah, if I need anything special, I'm 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 gonna at least I'm gonna send you a text, pray for this because that was kinda that was kinda wild. And, uh, and she knew I was halfway joking and, and laughed about it. But there does, I, I know what you're talking about. I've heard a lot of that stuff too. But you, uh, 
I think that sometimes when we share our prayer requests, and we may share them with lots of people, um, that the ultimate, the ultimate thing that we're actually praying for is that God would be most glorified, right? Right. And so that we, you know, how you share your request, not that you have to say special words or, or anything like that, but what I'm saying is that you would pray for God to be most glorified in whatever request right. you're saying. Well, and plus, exactly. And so if you do have lots of people and lots of the family God pray and then God answer those prayers, I mean, how edifying and encouraging is that to the body? Absolutely, because you I mean, say, hey, look, God answered yeah. this prayer, and it was very encouraging to the person that, right. you know, and to you. And to everybody. Because whatever you yeah. were praying for that um, was touching that. Was it like, was it Acts chapter 4? Where the church met together and prayed? Because mm-hmm. uh, is that when, is that when they got, God got them out and they were like at the door and they didn't even believe? Oh, They're yeah. like, in, we're in here praying for him to get loose. We know he's not out there. He's in jail. Like, no, he's out. He's here. Girl, not, you know, they were knocking yeah. the girl answers, oh, we're praying. Peter, and mm-hmm. he's right there. <laughs> yeah, but that, uh, so yeah, I, I don't disagree with that at all. Um, all right, sorry, I didn't mean to spend that much time there, but that was good. Uh, section four, prayer is to be made for lawful things. That's where we were. For all kinds of people, and there's nobody that we shouldn't pray for, who are alive now or will live later. Now, that might seem like an odd thing to say, but obviously pray for people who you know and, and I said this to somebody today. Even people who are not redeemed, if they're still breathing, you pray that the Lord redeem them. Nobody, we don't know who God's going to save and who he's not going to save. We don't understand all how that works. If they're still breathing, I think they got a chance to be redeemed. But, and if they ain't even been born yet, I mean, kids you're planning on having, kids you have, kids in the womb, kids, grown people, you know. Grandkids, great-grandkids. Yes, great-grandkids. Playing for your people that are coming later and their kids and so forth uh that's fine but prayer should not be made for the dead okay so if they're dead praying it for them ain't no good it ain't helping nothing it's the point the man wants to die in judgment and of course um the reason for that is that's a big it's still a huge catholic doctrine praying for the dead i just the other night when i was studying for this i just i got on the internet just google prayer for the dead oh my gosh nine million websites of 15 beautiful prayers to pray for the dead. You know, ways to pray for the dead. How to pray for the dead. And some of it was not just dead people that stuck in purgatory or even in hell. It was how to pray for, you know, grandma that's in heaven. How to, what to pray for. I mean, it's just wild stuff. Wow. Well, Mormons pray for the dead. Mormons pray for the dead. Mormons get baptized for the dead. Yeah, and that's another thing. That I, I got off on that rabbit hole the other night. That one verse in it, that Paul says, and before I knew it, I spent two hours reading, just feeling like I was getting dumber because I'm like, good gosh, the stuff that people. But it, it, that's an interesting thing that we can talk about sometime because that really is a very difficult passage. And I've even, I, you read the Puritans and they're like, it can mean this, this, there's four things it can mean. And what he's saying, I don't know. But what I do know is the Corinthians knew exactly what he was saying. And they understood it, and there's a reason he said it to them. And it might be one of the things that we just need to go, hey, you know, God said this to them. Um, we need to try to understand best we can, best we can, but we don't need to be. We certainly don't need to be doing it. <laughs> there's no explanation for it, no mode for doing it. Uh, I don't, and I think there's. I think it's a better explained uh, up some other way than they were literally baptizing somebody on behalf of 
other people that had already died and gone on. That would be totally contrary to the rest of Paul's theology, right? Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's the passage we're not at. We're at this passage, uh, that pr- uh, this part of the confession. We don't pray for the dead. Again, they're, they're separating themselves from the Catholic belief. Doing that, like, hey, we don't do that. Nor for those known to ascend the sin that leads to death. Now, that's a pretty difficult passage, too, in 1 John five sixteen. You can look at that if you want to. Uh, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he should ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. Does anybody want to take a stab at what that might mean? What would be a now? Obviously, and I think here, death means a sin that leads to eternal death, uh, not just dying. He's not saying if somebody sinned and got killed sinning. Well, again, you, you shouldn't pray for them because they're dead. You're not going to do any good praying for them. Like they're claiming there's another way to God, or that you're blaspheming. Yeah, I think it's it's probably the same thing as blaspheming the Holy Spirit. If you're familiar with that. Which is basically, if you live your life and you die rejecting God's gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, then you have blasphemed and you have, you have sinned the sin that leads to ultimate death. There's no other, there's no other way for you to escape it. You, you've rejected Christ and you died rejecting him. There's nothing else that can help you. And so that's why they say, again, if, that's, if, you, if you know, for those who have known those known to have sinned the sin that leads to death. In other words, this guy hated Christ and did, rejected him with his last breath. Then, I mean, sorry, but there, there's no need in asking God to do anything about that. It's done. Right? It's the same as praying for the dead. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, they want to make sure you understand you don't even pray for the dead. They're in heaven. That's not, I mean, <coughs> it's not, not good. Any questions about that? All right, number five. The elements of religious worship of God include, we've kind of already talked about this, reading the scriptures, right? Preaching and hearing the word of God. We try to do this every week, right? Try to read the scriptures, we try to preach it, and we hope that all of us try our best to hear it and that God gives us ears to hear it. It includes teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So I think it's important to think through this sometimes. We don't, you know, we're singing songs that really matter, and the purpose of singing those songs is teaching and admonishing and building one another up. Um, and sometimes I like to, I like to stop singing and listen, just hear all of y'all back there, just hear everybody singing. It's an awesome thing. It's encouraging, and it, you know, to hear my kids to just turn around and look and see my kids singing the, these words on their lips, you know, that um, of these great awesome songs. It's a time of teaching. It's, and, and, and the thing about music that's so amazing and singing is that those things will get in your heart and, and mind, and they stay there. I mean, we know that. All of us probably uh, know a, a million secular songs that we can't get out of our head if we wanted to. You know, if somebody walked in here and started, hit, hit three chords on Sweet Home Alabama, all of us know, and we'd be like, we sing because we know it. But... You probably don't realize how much, uh, you know, how many of these great hymns that are also etched into your soul and your heart and your mind, and you, 
you can be walking through the mall at Christmas and they're they're just playing one of those hymns and you start singing because you know those words are there. So I think it, you know, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs are important, and we shouldn't neglect it. Uh, it's a it's a beautiful part of worship and it's a part of teaching. And the singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. Um, somehow I read in in studying this that in the beginning, apparently up to this point, all Baptist churches and most Baptist churches didn't include singing in their congregation as part of the worship. But after this, in reading this one phrase right here about singing songs and teaching one another through singing and singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord, which is really a quote from, uh, uh, I'll show you down here, Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5. I don't know why they changed the wording. Because if you look at Colossians 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing another one, one another all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart. Now they changed it with grace in our hearts. Ephesians 5 says, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart, with your heart. They changed it in the confession to say, with grace in our hearts to the Lord. And for some reason, some people took that metaphorically and said, okay, we're, we're supposed to sing at worship, but it's not supposed to be out loud. It's supposed to be in our hearts. And so, and I just found this fascinating that according to um, Renahan, from this point forward, a lot of Baptist churches started using congregational singing as an important part of the worship. A lot of them didn't do any singing because of this verse. They thought it was, oh, you got to sing to the Lord in your heart. And I'm thinking, if you just go back and read the passages that it came from. But that's I, I, where the Church of Christ got it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when I think, I mean, that's all it's saying. If you look at those passages with melody in your heart and with thanksgiving in your heart, then grace in our hearts. I mean, how could you sing these songs if if, if grace has not entered your heart? Yeah. It's not in your heart? Yeah. And I think you know, there's a lot of arguments that uh, the songs and spiritual songs and hymns you could you could say see there's no music. But there's an interesting study about the word psalm that, it, that demonstrates that it almost always included music. And so I thought that, you know, I know people use that verse. And for whatever reason, I, you know, again, it's so important to try to think through these things, the holistic view of Scripture, to try to get it correct, not for the purpose of saying, look how holy we are, but we're just trying to do what God has commanded us to do. And if we're not careful, we start. We don't want to get caught in the minutia of um, to to where we're being legalistic. You know, I mean, I think this is what God wants, and I think we should pay attention to what we sing, and that it's edifying and glorifying. But you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure God is like, man. I can't believe y'all use a guitar. I did not say use a guitar, but that's a stringed instrument. I mean, the song, same as a piano and a harp. And, you know, I mean, again, I think some of these things are preference. You know, there's some music in some churches that I wouldn't be able to stomach, just to be honest. Personal preference. 
I mean, if it sounds, you know, if it's some dude up there rocking out with electric guitar and playing long solos, I mean, I, that's not for me at church. But now I'm not going to say that everybody's doing that's going to hell and they're not spiritual at all. I, I, I want to, the focus, is that teaching people and admonishing one another? I don't know. To me, it's not. So we're going to be cautious. How many instruments is enough? I don't know. I kind of like what I heard a pastor say back seven, eight, nine years ago. We use the musical instruments that God has gifted us with in the church. And he said it changes from year to year. Sometimes we got a pianist and a guitarist. Sometimes we have a drummer and a flutist. We use whatever we got. And that's kind of the that's kind of what I've that I, I feel like that's the right attitude. If we got somebody here who wants to play something, then let's encourage them, let them play it. We'll figure out how to make it work. I mean, I don't know. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think what's important is what we're singing. And are we able to sing with grace in our hearts and make melodies to the Lord in our hearts with thanksgiving in our hearts, whatever that means? Uh, anyways, anybody want to say anything else about that? It keeps going, uh, as well as the administration of baptism, Lord's Supper. Again, these are things that uh, we practice baptism every time we can. And we practice Lord's Supper every week because we can. If we could do baptism every Sunday at the end of the service, we'd do it. All right, but I can't keep baptizing the same people over and over. So, you know, when the Lord saves people, we'll baptize them. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Right now, it'd have to be something inside. Yeah. I, I love I love seeing people saved, but I ain't getting in a swim pool right now. No. Or the river or the lake. No. I, saw, I saw a picture today of someone, it was a meme, and it was saying Christians be like, it's too cold to go to church, and it says, meanwhile, in Finland, and it shows them doing yeah, a baptism, yeah. and there's like this much ice. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, I probably shouldn't say I wouldn't do that, but I sure would rather. Yeah. Well, I've just got I've got too, too many friends with churches that have heated baptisms, you know. Yeah. Well, you could go in a wetsuit. There's no reason. Like I said, there's too many modern there's too many modern amenities, too many churches around here with heated water that I'm. Why I do that? No. I did one in the in the winter in the river down there in Tallapoosa. It was cold, and that was it was cold. Yeah. So I, I, don't, I don't. It didn't make it any more spiritual. No. I, I wouldn't feel spiritual at all. To be honest with you. All right. And then it keeps it keeps going. They meaning all these all these things prior. These elements of worship must be performed out of obedience to Him. With understanding, there it is again, we shouldn't be doing anything in worship that people don't understand. Now, all right, First um, Corinthians chapter 2 makes it clear that the carnal mind cannot understand the things of the Lord. So we preach the gospel, and I can't help that people can't understand that. <clears throat> but we shouldn't be doing things that people, especially, and again, worship is for the people of God. Lost people can't worship anyways. We shouldn't do things at church that, that any of the saved people don't understand what's going on. What, what are we doing? What does that mean? What is this about? No. So do these things with understanding, with faith, reverence, and godly fear, right? We talked about that in context a few weeks back when they died in the bayou. And, I mean, godly fear is a good thing. You know, thankfully, we could probably mess up and worship in a way that God doesn't command. I don't think that we're going to get consumed by fire. But we should be careful, and we should care about that. You know, we should be concerned whether we're doing it 
the way God has commanded. And then it goes on to this. Also, personal acts of humbling with fasting in times of thanksgiving should be observed on special occasions in a holy and religious manner. Now, that's a pretty interesting phrase. I don't know how much we'll get to talk about tonight. But one of the things that, um, you know, the I find it interesting that the only thing they referenced here was um, for this personal acts of humbling and fasting in times of thanksgiving should be observed special occasions in a holy and religious manner. They just picked these Old Testament passages about fasting, which is fine. And we'll try to talk about this the next time we gather. Um, but interestingly, with it being coupled with um, special occasions, one of the special occasions in the New Testament that's associated with fasting is the ordaining of elders. I think Acts chapter 14, and, and I'm surprised that that's not here. Um, so, and again, I want to try to take some time to talk a little bit about fasting and what that is and how you should do it or when we should do it or those kind of things. I don't want to try to jump into that right now, but I think here in this phrase especially, there's just times where, as it says, special occasions still in a holy and religious manner and I think this is referring to the whole church here it's not just uh, one or two you need to go out and be humble and fast this is something and again I think that's why it's important to I meant to put that passage down so we could look at it um, I think it's Acts 14 has anybody tried to find it uh And it's interesting that before this, before the Second London General Assembly assembled and met and actually passed the 1689 Confession of Faith, they called all the churches to fast and mourn before the Lord and to humble themselves and seek His face that the blessings of the Lord may attend what they've done in writing the 1689. So see, that in their minds, fasting was not something that individuals did to get more spiritual and sometimes I think that's what we've that's what we've turned we, we've messed up that so badly I mean you got, you got people on Facebook talking about you know I'm fasting right now well you've already violated the scripture which says you shouldn't be telling people that you're fasting when you're fasting that's Acts the thing 14, between 23. Acts 14 23 so I was at least in the right chapter the church does the Daniel fast together 40 day the what now Daniel fast have you heard of that oh uh, yeah, I have it's a book that whole churches have gone through. And well, and again, I mean, like right here seems to suggest it's something that the church is called to together. But I'm not sure, and we can talk about this later, what it should look like. And sometimes, I, I don't know, I, I struggle with this whole thing. But I do see that Basically, uh, this this is Acts fourteen twenty three. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. So I, I just basically see it: the church had these men set aside that they were going to ordain as elders, and they had been fasting. In other words, they had 
giving up some things that they normally do so that they could concentrate more in prayer. And they could, I don't know, in some I, way. I, I figured, I look at it a, just in my head, same thing, but it's that you're so immersed in the body with those people that you're not doing those other things. You're yeah. just foregoing that for what's in your plate right, right. now. You're fa- yeah, you're taking something's, something else is suffering. So, so something you can, that God has put in front of you is so much more important than what else is going on that you're just, this is where you're at right now. Right. And, and you know, again, it's the whole body that was called to it. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not sure that they had to, I don't know, I'm not sure that there was a, Outline that everybody followed, you know. I think it was just a it was a way for the church to stop what they normally did and spend time praying. Look, we're 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 setting these side, we're setting aside, putting our hands on these men that they're going to go and be. And I think it's this is the King James when they had ordained elders plural in every church. In every church, they put elders, multiple elders, not an elder in each church. I think all of us have been so immersed in doing something we've forgotten to eat or missed a meal or forgot to call somebody or do, and I kind of think that's the understanding there. You're so immersed in what's going on in the church or in your prayer there that you just, you forego everything else. But can you plan that though? Yeah, you can't plan that. I don't think it ever says to plan that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think it's just a call to the church. I don't think scripture ever tells you to plan for fasting. Yeah, I just think it's something that they come together and that's why I say I don't think there's a plan. I don't think there's a, all right, here's what I want everybody to do. But Starting tomorrow at 5 o'clock. Yeah, I just think as, hey, this is a serious thing. I mean, um, you know, in, in any kind of special occasion, but especially that one at least has biblical mandate and support along with it. The church was, whatever fasting is, they were doing it. And then they... Um, and it seems like here when they had ordained them in every church and had prayed with fasting so it seems like it's something that, like you say it was an ongoing thing it was not just uh, everybody take some time and do this I don't know it's an interesting thing to think about and think through because I don't think we should just throw it away and say oh we don't do that kind of stuff anymore because it was obviously important to them and and it mattered well, you look at Nehemiah, too. I mean, as soon as he heard about Jerusalem and everything, the walls being torn down and the gates being burned, I mean, his first reaction, it wasn't planned, but his right. first reaction was to fast and pray. Yeah. Well, I think fasting was so connected with praying because it kind of along with what Brian said here, it wasn't something you had to be told to do. Right. You, that when there was something that was so important that had to be prayed about, there was something, and just by natural occurrence, something had to be given up so you could pray this way. Yeah. That you could focus. I had to, I had to let something go so I could pray. And maybe it is. I mean, usually associated with food. We know that we we think about Jesus. You know, fasted forty days. But I'm not sure that it always has to be. All right, you got to stop eating. Only drink water. Or only do this. Well, it says he fasted for them, but he was also out there by himself. He was nobody else with him. Right. To me, one of the weirdest fasting scriptures is Jonah, where he goes to Nineveh, and you got this wicked city, and as soon as Jonah 
preached the world's shortest sermon. Uh, their first reaction was to fast, but I mean, where did they learn to fast? Because they were a horrible, wicked city. But the king said everybody's going to fast. And, I mean, he said even the animals. Yeah. I mean, where did they learn to fast from? Mm-hmm. That was that's just a really weird passage. Right. Yeah, and and again, I think it's because maybe we have so associated fasting with a certain thing that we don't really understand. What does it mean? And that's why I would really, I mean, I really want to try to delve into it more to see. But I do think it's something, um, I think it is it's something that the Lord puts on his people to do, and they do it, and it's not something that. It's not planned, it's not a checklist, yeah. it's not something you start at 5 mm-hmm. o'clock, finish at 6 in the morning. It's just Right. Because here's a, again, if you go back to what I think we talked about earlier, something is so heavy on you that you know that if God doesn't do something, he's, it's not going to happen. I mean, you know yourself that you, you fast. I mean, I fast from sleeping a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And I don't try to. I don't, I don't set my alarm and say, I'm going to get up and fast at 1 a.m. No, it's so heavy on me in my I'm soul and my spirit that I don't sleep but three hours. And every time I'm up, I'm just, you know, again, I'm not some super spiritual prayer warrior, whatever that is. But I find myself praying. It's the only way I, I pray till I go back to sleep. And, it's, and I feel like that God does that to me. It's not me, you know, again, I'm not so spiritually minded that, man, I just can't sleep when I've got something I know the Lord needs to hear about. No, it's, I wanted to sleep, but because it was so heavy on me, I couldn't. And if that, I, I just, I try not to, again, I, I mean, I don't even usually tell people this much about it, but there's just times that when I'm up at 2 o'clock in the morning, I'm assuming God has taken sleep from me and I need to be praying. And I don't even know about what. You know, I don't turn the TV on and say, I'm going to see what's going on. I mean, I, I'm not going to do that at 2 o'clock in the morning. But anyways, I think it's interesting, and I think it, it would be fun to kind of get into it a little bit more. But the problem is finding something solid written about it. You know, not some book of, you know, 10 ways to fast or how to how to do Easter Lent. You know, something like that. David praying and fasting mm-hmm. too. I mean, mm-hmm. there's several areas of scripture that you can yeah. go to and look. And but there's no, and there's never a prescription. No. It's just prayer and fasting. Right, and sackcloth and ashes. And it's kind of like it's kind of like what Luke was saying with Nineveh. They knew what it meant. So yeah. I don't know if it was a. You know, they oppressed the yeah. Israelites. So maybe they saw some of that with that. Mm-hmm. With I think so. The oppressing yeah. of the Israelites. Who knows? I think it's just something something that God, like he said, God puts in I people. Think, yeah. That you're so, and I just describe it where you're so distraught or you're so consumed with something else, you just kind of forget what else is going on. Yeah. For that. They may have fasted in some form when somebody died. Oh, yeah. yeah. Or something. Yeah. Well, and if you look at what they say here, and again, this is not scripture, but this is just the, we trust these men looked into the scriptures and grueled over it to figure these things out. They say um, formal acts of worship performed in public. These must not be careless or neglected. Uh, let me see where I'm at. I might be in the next. I might have skipped down a thing. I'm sorry. Uh, I did. If you look down in the next part where it's talking about formal worship, public assemblies, they must not be careless or de- deliberately neglected or forsaken when God by his word or providence calls us to them. I think he's talking about public worship, 
But the same could be said about this thing up here because it says in humbling with fasting and times of thanksgiving should be observed on special occasions in a holy and religious manner. I think that would be the same way when God calls us to those things, just like he did with um, Acts 14. It's time to ordain some elders. That's a special thing that God had called them to and called them away from something else and to that. And maybe it's one of those things where they knew how serious that matter was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's where, that's where so it's at, yes. It was a natural thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, this is this is important. We need to really be yeah. devoting. And, yeah, and, so. and I think that's what I read that uh, the, fa- the, the founding fathers or the writers and constructors of 1689, they just they just let their people know that, hey, we think this is important. So we we call all your churches together. Now, I don't think that was something that they checked on and said, well, if y'all didn't do this, and obviously you're not a true church, you know, but, <laughs> hey, we're calling y'all. This is important. This is a big deal. This we're, we're separating ourselves from the Roman, the church at Rome, and everybody else that we're things we're being accused of we're trying to set the record straight we want people to know who we are and this was a huge deal confessions were huge because i was listening to a church history podcast today and the guy was talking you know, you know people always ask these questions well how do we go how do we know if we are the ones that go back to the new testament and, and this guy was like here's the truth before confessions and creeds we don't really know what people believed you know, a lot of these people were on the run for their life. They didn't have time to stop and construct a good confession. They were just trying to live to the next day. And uh, and so, and he was talking about the reason he loved creeds and confessions because now, as a historian, I can go back and say, here's what the English Baptists believe. From we're not sure how far back, but by 1689, we're really in the first confession, the first London Confession, and then even more in 1689. This is what it meant to be an English Reformed particular Baptist. And we know that. And so to them, that was very important. And it was worthy for people to stop what they were doing normally to pray about this. And I think that's, again, I think the focus of whatever fasting is, the purpose of fasting is to get you to focus on God and pray. So, and I think unfortunately, yeah, unfortunately we put too much emphasis in most books written about fasting. The emphasis is on fasting. Not what is it that you're getting to. It's not what you're, you know. It's not what you're getting away from. It's what you're getting to, you know. <clears throat> I'm not worried about what you're forsaking. Yeah. So. Anyways, anybody want to say anything else? I think we're out of time. We're past time. Well, you know, Muslims do it. Yeah. What's that?